Beaver Nation, it's time to get inside the huddle with the Damn Podcast. The Damn Podcast is your weekly ticket to Oregon State football and recruiting news. Here's your host of the Damn Podcast, BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of the Damn podcast. I'm your host, Angie Michaud. With me, as always, is Carter Baines, our fearless beat writer who just attended that big UCLA Oregon State victory on the road. Carter, how was the Rose Bowl? That was uh, quite the experience for me. It was definitely a bucket list moment to go to the Rose Bowl. Um, you know, I always want to go to the Rose Bowl game, but um, to see Oregon State get a win in that stadium was pretty cool, regardless of, you know, whether it was regular season or postseason. So it was, it was, as, uh, I mean, you had some great pictures you sent and you posted on Twitter. I mean, that picture of you outside the Rose Bowl with the Rose Bowl in the background, that's, that's pretty cool. Yeah, that was, that was pretty awesome. Except we lost our glasses. Sounds like it's a little rough going down, but um, what was the good that you took away from that UCLA win? Uh, well, I'll start with Jake Luton, six total touchdowns. Um, that was probably one of the best individual performances we've seen from a player at Oregon State in quite a while. And just in terms of scoring, um, you know, his, his yardage at 285 was surprisingly low for how efficient he was. But five touchdowns through the air and then uh, that one on the ground and on their last offensive drive. Yeah, that was a really impressive game from Luton. Yeah, it was. It was um, probably his best game ever as a Beaver. Mm-hmm. How about uh, Isaiah Hodgins? What'd you What'd you take away from him? Yeah, just uh, you know, really another phenomenal week from Hodgins, who's really in my mind cemented himself as a top five receiver in the country, and really I think he's a prime candidate for the Bolitnikov at this point through the season, at least. Um, you know, as as the Beavers take on tougher Pac-12 opponents, maybe they start to lock him down a little bit, but um, you know, he's he's kind of matchup proof in a way. It's like you know, he doesn't really need that much separation to go up and make incredible catches. And he showed that against UCLA, making some, some highlight reel catches like that one diving touchdown. Yeah, yeah. And the one play that I think it's overlooked, but it totally stood out to me, and I still remember it, you know, five days later. It was a play, it was a broken play. He went up for the pass, and he kind of bobbled it a little bit, and it was nearly an interception. And he had the thought to reach his hand out and bat the ball away mm-hmm. and, and which was huge. The other person I want to want to give a shout out. I mean, first AP had a great game, but I want to bring up Noah Togiai because yeah. I know Beaver fans were kind of down on him after that Stanford game and thought he wasn't doing his job blocking and he dropped a few balls and he had a key first down pickup late in that game and then he was probably the lead key blocker on Luton's touchdown run. What did you see uh, from Noah? Yeah, no, that was a huge uh, bounce-back performance from him. You know, he took a lot of heat last week and really throughout this season. But, um, you know, I I think he showed this past week why all of the hype is, you know, why why he's gotten this hype as one of the best tight ends in the conference throughout his career. You know, you you mentioned the block that he had on Luton's run. He held that block for, I mean, it seemed like forever. Um, the, The lead blocker on the outside there that gave Luton you know, kind of a wide open hold in the end zone. That was huge. Just seeing, you know, kind of increased effort in the blocking game, which seems to have been somewhat of a weakness of his game throughout the first half of the season. Well, and how about on his run or that the reception and then 
yard after contact when he he threw. I mean, I, I wasn't going to say he, it was like he threw. He totally just one arm threw the UCLA defender off of him and on the ground. Yeah, that's just pure strength right there. Yeah. Now, bad. And I, I don't want to focus on negative too much, but um, what were your thoughts on the defense? Well, the run defense, um, you know, it wasn't their best game. But, you know, 256 yards on the ground and three touchdowns. And to be honest, a lot of that just comes back to the 75-yard the run for Demetrius Felton. Yeah, uh, yeah, know, that you, one you, yard was... You throw that up one. that... Yeah, you throw out that one play and it suddenly becomes a much, much better performance for the run defense. But, you know, obviously it, the play happened and so you have to take account for it. But um, it seemed like a bit of a miscommunication with uh, linebacker running in late. I can't remember. It might have been Omar Spates, but I'm not 100% sure on that. But, um, you know, and, and Felton finds the hole where a linebacker is supposed to be, but there's miscommunication there so it, you know, it seemed avoidable and um you know i think i think it's safe to say outside of that play it was a, a better performance for the run defense yeah yeah so sacks i mean they were at three sacks again eight total tackles for loss so there were some positives i think with the defense like you said it's like i went back and kind of watched some of the game before i did she said on sunday and honestly there were two three four plays that if Oregon State just could have made the stop or kept them from a first down, and it's kind of been the, the repeat performance that we've seen all season, but um, definitely getting better. They're definitely getting, you know, getting there. Yeah, and then I want to go back to UCLA's first offensive drive. Um, you know, they, they get in a fourth and one situation on their own 35 or so, and you know, how about the linebackers for Oregon State just coming up and, and stopping the run there and, uh, you know, they had a ton of tackles for loss in that game, as they have in every game this year. Yeah, you know, yeah. they're they're one of the best in the country at tackles for loss now. So, um, you know, in that moment on that play, I thought, OK, you know, the defense came to play today. Yeah, I mean, I mean, Shamar Smith, Avery Roberts and Hamilka Rashad Rashid had amazing games, honestly. Mm-hmm. I mean, Avery, I think, has really taken a big step. I mean, I, I know we all had big expectations for him coming into the season. Uh, but I think he's finally starting to live up to some of the hype and expectations that, that many had for him. Yeah, three tackles for loss for Roberts, pass breakup, and a quarterback hurry yeah, on top yeah. of a sack. So that's, I mean, it was his best game of the Beaver by far. Absolutely. And, and Shamar Smith, the senior, stepping up with 12 tackles, a sack, a tackle for loss, a forced fumble. So um, big, big game for those guys. And and then Hamilka still, I mean, He's had a sack in, in every game. I, th- I believe he leads the, is he lead the country in sacks? I know he at least leads the conference, the conference. but I'm not yeah, sure. Yeah, I know, I know that for sure, too. Um, okay, so switching gears a little bit, let's talk looking ahead to Utah. Totally different different team now. So um, Oregon State has, you know, Stanford was a winnable game that they let slip, slip through their fingers, beat UCLA, and now we get to some meat on, our, on the Beaver schedule. And Utah... Ranked 15, Oregon State is a 14-and-a-half-point underdog going into the game. Offensively, what do you want to see the Beavs do? Uh, well, it's a it's a tough matchup for Oregon State in the run game, particularly. The trenches you, are going to be so tough. Yeah, I mean, Utah's giving up under two-and-a-half yards per carry. Like, that's a ridiculous stat. And so, yeah. it, you know, the running game is probably Oregon State's biggest strength um, and you know, it's it's going to be tough to get momentum against that tough front seven for Utah. Um, but but that's going to be a key to the game is Oregon State has to pick up chunk yardage, you know, whether it's 
the coaches have said this week, you know, two, three, four yard runs sometimes are going to be positive and we need to accept that and know that we're not going to, you know, find massive holes and get into the second level of the defense all the time. But, you know, two and a half yards per carry is not going to get it done for Oregon State. So they're going to have to uh, find a way to to get a little bit more considerable yardage against really what I think is the best defense in the Pac-12 and probably top five in the country. Yeah, yeah. And I, I just think, you know, you're gonna they're going to try to focus on, you know, their secondary is really good. They're going to try to focus on taking Hodgins out of the equation. So um, trying to chunk those plays, like you said, is going to be hugely important. Important. What do you take? I mean, their def- their their defense is amazing, but then you add Huntley and Moss offensively. Huntley is the number one ranked quarterback in the Pac-12 right now. Uh, he's mobile. Moss is 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 questionable heading into the game after a separated shoulder a couple weeks ago. But what did those two? If you're you know Tim Tibbs or what are you doing to stop those two? Yeah, that's probably the best quarterback running back uh, duo in the conference. And that's saying a lot because we know how much talent there is in the Pac-12 this year offensively. And so it's a tough scheme to prepare for, really, because, you know, Huntley's so dominant both on the on the ground and in the pass game. And then you throw in Moss, who's, you know, one of the best running backs in the country. Um, you know, you, you have to focus. You can't you can't just focus on the run and, and say, we'll let Huntley beat us deep because he will. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I. I'm I'm not envious of being in Tim Tibisar's shoes this week because he's got quite a challenge to prepare for this. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. How do, how do you see see the Beavs? What can they do to to win this game? You know, honestly, I think they're going to have to keep the ball in their hands. And going up against a tough defense, you know, that's going to be hard to do. But they have to stay on the field. You know, pick up three, four yards per play, and you know, just really grind grind those drives, take time off the clock and keep the ball out of the Utah offense's hands. Cause um, you know, the more Oregon state has the ball here, the, the more they can wear down the Utah defense. And I think that's going to be key. Yeah. Oregon state has had some great success up front. You know, I, I think um, when I look at Oregon state success on offense, a lot of that, and it doesn't get a lot of play, but Oregon state's offensive line has played so strong. I'm anxious to see how they can hold up against that front force at uh, Utah. Yeah, this will be quite the indicator of uh, where the offensive line stands because, you know, they've been one of the best units in the conference throughout this season, which, I mean, to be fair, it surprised some people. And without Nathan Eldridge, we weren't sure necessarily if they'd be um, as good as they have been. So, uh, no, like you said, this will be a good test for them. And I I think it's a really intriguing matchup. Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, interesting matchup. What... Win or lose, Carter, I posed this question in the Logic Beaver Blitz, but I'm, I'm anxious to hear what you think about it. Win or lose, on Saturday night, when we walk away from the press conference, what will, you, what will Beavers have to do to, for you to walk away saying, that was a really good game? I think as long as they move the ball, um, you know, I'm, I'm not expecting them to put up the offensive numbers that they have throughout the year, but you know, if they're able to move the ball relatively against Utah's defense. I, I think that's a success because, you know, we haven't seen them put together four quarters outside of this UCLA game. So, you know, if they can come out and do that and put some points on the board against the best defense in the conference, I think that's a win. And then on the other side of the ball, uh, just stop the run, you know, because 
you know, we haven't seen Oregon State stop a mobile quarterback in a long, long time. So, <laughs> in a long time. Yeah, so if they can come out and do that, I think you know that's an improvement for sure. Awesome. Well, Beaver fans, stay tuned. We're going to be joined next on the damn hotline with Dan Sorensen of the Ute Zone, and he's going to talk a little bit more about Utah and give us a little insider info on the Utes. We'll be back in just a few minutes. Welcome back to the Dam Podcast. I am lucky to be joined now on the Dam Hotline by Dan with Dan Sorensen from UteZone.com. Dan, how are you? Doing well. How are you doing, Angie? I am good. Thank you so much for taking a few minutes to join us on the Dam Podcast and on the Dam Hotline. Utah, ranked number 15 in the country. Oregon State has not seen Utah in a couple years now, but um, all we keep hearing about out here in Oregon is amazing defense, and then Huntley and Moss. So let's just start right now with that amazing defense. What is the strength of this defense? Really, when you think about a Utah defense, and this has been the case for basically the entire Kyle Whittingham era, is it all begins with that defensive line. This defensive line at Utah this year is probably the most talented and deepest I have ever seen in my 15 years of covering the program. They've got a defensive tackle rotation that runs five tackles deep. It starts with starters Lecky Fotu and John Penicini. Lecky Fotu was a first-team All-Pac-12 guy last year. Penicini was second-team All-Pac-12 guy last year. Uh, both of them are being looked at at as All-American candidates, and they're both really strong, really disruptive, especially good against the run. But there's three other guys in that rotation that when they rotate them out, there's really not a lot of drop-off that we see. I mean, they've got five guys that could probably start for every Pac-12 team. And so the fact that they've got that deep defensive tackle rotation, they're able to, uh, to really keep guys fresh. They're able to especially be strong against the run, and, and, and they're really stout. And then on the edge, they've got some of the best uh, pass rushers in the conference. They've got Bradley and I, who the last two seasons has led or been tied for the lead in sacks for the Pac-12. He's already got four this year. He's also caused a, a bunch of holding penalties. Uh, so he's just a terror coming off the edge. And uh, on the other side, they've got uh, Mika Tafua and and Max Tupai. Both of them are really just solid, stout guys. So it's a really strong defensive line. There's a good linebacker core that uh, is... Uh, is they're not as good as they were last year, but they're still pretty solid. And then they've got a really talented secondary that's led by Jalen Johnson, who's one of the best cornerbacks in all of college football. Wow. Okay. So now I, I don't even know why we're going to line up and play because seriously, I'm just looking. <laughs> that sounds amazing. There, Utah is only giving up 53.8 yards a game rushing. Is that, yeah, is that I mean, true? That that is very true, and it's and you know, and some of that is you know, one of those games was Washington State, and okay. so that the numbers get skewed a little bit just because Mike Leach, you know, isn't, you know, he's, he doesn't run the football a lot, but you know, USC couldn't run the football on Utah. Uh, really, nobody's been able to. Uh, there certainly hasn't been a, a hundred yard rusher against the Utes this year, and they they've just been really stout, and so and and really, it's it starts with the run defense. They. The, the Utah defensive philosophy is they try to make you one-dimensional. They want to shut down the run game and make you throw the ball and make you beat them over the top. Uh, they want to be aggressive and try to force you into mistakes and hopefully pick the ball off. It's one of the reasons why they've been so good the past few years in terms of generating turnovers is, is that philosophy. So, 
you know, really, um, especially for teams that, that key their offense on, on running the football and establishing the run, it makes things just really tough. So switching gears to the offense. So, I mean, you guys are totally solid on defense. But then again, then, you know, you have Huntley, Moss. Uh, I, I believe Covey's out this game. And I don't know the status on Moss. What, what is the latest with Moss? Sure. So Zach Moss, uh, I wish I knew. So you, one of the things about Kyle Whittingham is, you know, he treats injury news like, you know, state secrets. I don't think the CIA knows what, what, what yeah, Moss is. Yeah, Oregon State's the same way. It's, they're all getting a little paranoid, aren't they? They, they totally are. And so I, I feel your pain. You know, it, he, he, there was a, a shoulder separation was the injury. I don't, based on what I've heard, it's, it's not, it was not, a severe one. Okay. I, I think so. There, there's a chance that we could see him. And frankly, even if it's just a, if it's a pain management thing and there's, you know, not a chance to further damage it, uh, even if he's still a little dinged up, I would anticipate that we would see Moss. I, uh, it, the kid is motivated. The kid wants to see the field. I mean, frankly, he could have potentially gone to the NFL last year and he decided that he wanted to come back because he had unfinished business at Utah. So believe me, he wants to see the field. It's, it's a priority for him. There's a chance that we see him. If we don't see Moss, we're going to see running back by committee. And the Utes have a lot of good backs. Uh, Devontae Henry Cole, the last couple of games, has been especially strong. Devin Brumfield is a guy. He's another big banger, a bruiser like Moss was. And, and then, of course, they've got the uh, true freshman, Jordan Wilmore, who is a, a four-star uh, the uh, high school All-American last year that, uh, that uh, they've got him in the rotation as well. So we'll see, even if Moss plays, they're still going to be rotation. They'll run the ball with three or four different guys, but Moss will get the bulk of the carries if, if he does play. But if he doesn't, they've still got running back by committee. They're still going to try to establish the run. They're going to try to be balanced and they're going to try to get, you know, suck in those safeties. So, so Huntley can beat people over the top. Yeah. And then Tyler Huntley, you know, speaking of him, I mean, he's, I always kind of thought of him as a running quarterback, which he's mobile, but he's really shown his strength passing this year. Can you talk a little bit about him and maybe the receivers that he'll be looking at? Sure. He's a different guy than we've, we've seen him in the past. I mean, he showed flashes of, of, of brilliance in the last couple of years, uh, but really he seems to have put it all together here in his senior year. He's got a confidence we've never seen from him. He's making really good decisions. He has yet to throw an interception this year through five games, which is uh, remarkable in, in my opinion, especially because there were times last year where, you know, he wasn't necessarily as smart with the football, but he, he he's managing the game. Uh, he can be explosive. He can beat you over the top. He doesn't tend to throw a lot over the middle. I think he likes to look at the edge and, and, and use his receivers on the outside uh, as opposed to really working the middle of the field. But he's dangerous in the run game. He's smart in the run game, especially when Utah gets into that read option game. And he's playing the best football of his career to the point where he's starting to get looks from NFL scouts, which if you would have asked me a year ago if Tyler Huntley was even remotely close to an NFL guy, I would have laughed at you. I, I would have said absolutely not, but he's starting to get looks by, from NFL scouts and he deserves it. He's playing unbelievably good football. Um, and so, so, you know, the fact that he's making good decisions is, is a good thing from the receiver standpoint, you know, you mentioned Britton Covey, he's not going to play in this game. It's likely he's probably going to red shirt this year. He's just not been the same since injuring his knee in the Pac-12 championship game against Washington last year. But that doesn't mean that Utah doesn't have receiving targets. You know, Brian Thompson is Utah's uh, probably 
big deep threats. He's averaging, uh, I think, what was it, 28 yards per catch, something obscene like that. He's got 11 catches for 300-plus yards. Uh, he, and, and he's, it seems like every single game, he's got at least one 40-plus yard catch. He's, and he's really come on as strong in Pac-12 play. He, he's, he's been a nice revelation. Uh, Jalen Dixon is another receiver. He's, he's a smaller guy. Um, whereas, you know, Thompson's big, you know, he's 6'2", he's going to play on the outside. Dixon, they'll play him on the outside, they'll play him in the slot, they'll run him with a fly sweep. He's kind of taking that Britton Covey spot uh, in, in the slot, and, and he's a guy, that, he's one of the fastest players on the team. He can get behind you, he can beat you deep. Um, Samson Nakua, another big, tall receiver that they like to play out of the the. the the slot when when they go over the middle of the field, he's usually the guy that they go to. He'd been pretty quiet up until the Washington State game, and he had a huge game against Washington State. So, you know, he's a threat. And and Utah also likes to use their tight ends. You know, Brant Keithy is a guy that the Oregon State fans should probably pay attention to. He's averaging 18 yards a catch. Uh, he's a guy. He's a guy that even out of the tight end position, we've seen running plays. You know, they've run like fly sweeps with the tight end, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think oh. about how often <laughs> you see something like that and but but he's a guy he's a former high school running back and he's a guy that's able to you know to to, to be used in a versatile way like that he's a great receiver uh and and he has you know every once in a while you know he'll just get out on the on a on a wheel route or or on an out pattern and 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 he's able to to, to beat linebackers and run run past linebackers so a lot of weapons it's a better utah offense than we've seen in probably the last five or six years um they're not perfect by any means that they've had some struggles in the red zone and finishing drives uh and 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 really that's probably why their points per game total is lower than it should be they've left a lot of points on the field this year but if they can get that cleaned up i mean this is this utah team is as good as any in the country wow so there you have it beaver fans so appreciative of Dan Sorensen from Butte Zone coming on the damn podcast on the damn hotline to give us some really great insight on this week's opponent. They sound really scary good. So uh, the Beavers will have their hands full this week. Um, but thank you, Dan, for joining us. We'll be back next with the damn questions. Welcome back to the damn podcast. That was fun um, hearing from Dan Sorensen and what he had to say about the Utes. Um, Carter, you know what we haven't done yet? We have not done the quick hits. You want to know how you did last week? It was a rough one for you, actually. You actually had some good picks, but you were 5 of 10 last week. Yeah, I know I came up close on a few of them. but uh... Yeah, yeah. I mean, Luton, I, that surprised me. I almost thought that was a win until I went back and looked at the numbers. Luton throwing over 300 yards, and you said yes. And dang, with that, the way the Beavers played, I was, uh, was kind of shocked that he was only at like 285. But uh, good, good effort. Um, you had Hamilka Rashid as leading tackler, and that was actually Shamar. So um, close mm-hmm. there. You had leading scorer as AP, and uh, that was Hodgins. Mm-hmm. But overall, um, I think you can do better. Yeah, yeah, I'm, I'm ready for a better week. Okay, are you ready? Yep. Same questions. You, you're getting to know them by heart. I probably don't even need to read them anymore. Um, <laughs> Luton will throw for over 300 yards. No. Uh, leading rusher. Pierce. Leading receiver. Hodgins. I know these; those are kind of easy, aren't they? Yeah. Leading scorer. Um, hmm, that's tougher. I think if the Beavers are going to score, they're probably going to have to do it through the air. I, I know Utah's secondary is good, but Hodgins, I think. Hodgins. Okay. How about takeaways over or under two? 
Under. Sacks over or under two? That's a tough one. Um, I'll go under just because I think Huntley, you know, he has the ability to get out of the pocket, which could cause some problems. Leading tackler for the Beavers? Roberts. Okay. How about um, Shuker being over 50% on his kicks? Yes. Okay. Uh, Beavers score over 35 points. You take the over or under of that? Under. And last, will the Beavers hold Utah to under 200 yards rushing? No. Awesome. Well, there we have that. Now I want to shift gears a little bit, and this will probably be a little more me talking, but uh, I want to give a quick visitor preview um, for this week's game and uh, let all of our listeners kind of get a, a head, uh, you know, kind of a head start of who will be visiting. There's actually going to be quite a few visitors this week um, to the game. And then there's a couple lined up already for the Washington game. And then Arizona state is the final weekend for official visitors during the season before we head into that uh, December visit time. But Oregon state has a couple big names, including a basketball visitor coming in this weekend in Clackamas 2021, four star, um, ben Gregg, he'll be making his official visit to Corvallis this weekend for the basketball team and Coach Tinkle. So um, we'll just kind of get get that started with. And then looking at football, there's there's a whole handful of unofficial visits, as there always is. But um, I'm going to start with the official visitors that we have confirmed. And there'll be a few more that we haven't confirmed yet that I'm just waiting um, for them to say, yes, I'm coming or no, I'm not. But a um, couple big names to keep an eye on. Union City, Laney College. Three-star cornerback, uh, Rajon Wright, and that's Nashon's brother. He's the number one JUCO product right now in California. And, uh, Carter, we know that the Beavers need some length at cornerback. Yeah, that would be a huge get for them. Uh, Yeah, yeah. The the ties with his brother being on the team already, I think, give Oregon State a bit of an edge there. So, um, you know, as, as long as he's impressed with what he sees, I think the Beavers have a real shot. Yeah, no, he made an unofficial visit back at the Oklahoma State game just to, to watch his brother play. Um, and now he's coming on his official, so he'll spend the weekend in Corvallis. He's at Laney, so we are, um, they are right in the midst of filming Last Chance U. That is the new the new program for Last Chance U. So he's going to be in the in the middle of that um, for, for next season. And he has offers from Colorado, UCLA, but everyone in the in the country is pretty much uh, starting to check in on him a little bit and all mm-hmm. over the Pac-12. So definitely one to watch. But like you said, having his brother in Corvallis is, could be big. Um, another junior college cornerback will be in town as well. City College of San Francisco corner Ronald Harge III will be making his official visit too. So um, a, a couple JUCO um, DBs, which are so important for Oregon State right now. And then a big name, and I, I really don't think this is a, you know, I don't, I don't see Oregon State having a huge shot with this kid but um minneapolis minnesota four-star outside linebacker caden johnson will be making an official visit as well i I think some of that is is more of a courtesy because of his relationship with tim tibisar um right now he's kind of crystal ball 50 50 with minnesota and wisconsin but you know one part of the battle is just getting these kids on campus and sometimes getting them on campus they are sold right when they get here so Definitely a big name to watch coming in um, this weekend. The Beavers also have some unofficials that are intriguing to me. Um, the main one is Anaheim Servite tight end Jake Overman. So Jake actually made a official visit back in June. We've talked about him. I know Carter, um, you know, talked about him being 
one of the Beavers' top targets, and they they did pick up a, a tight end already, but Overman is one that they would make room for. They love him. Um, everything was looking good. Oregon State was the lead. Um, they even were here for his official visit for his sister's 16th birthday, which happened to coincide with a, a big dinner. Um, I, I believe it was the 50-yard line dinner at Oregon State. And I know he was blown away because – the entire crowd saying happy birthday to his sister on her 16th birthday up in, you know, research stadium. So mm-hmm. I know it was really that family atmosphere came through to him. And then things kind of changed a little bit when Washington offered him. And um, I think the, the powers that be kind of felt that Washington would be in the lead. So I was surprised to hear this week that he was going to be making an unofficial visit again to Corvallis. So um, I think that's important. And then a couple are, uh, are commit to, already in junior walling from McNary and offensive lineman Cooper Darling. They'll both be in town as well. So unofficially, you know, just, just being back with their teammates or their future teammates. Junior's been around being from, from Kaiser. He's been to all the home games this year, but um, Cooper will be up as well. So um, kind of a fun, a fun weekend. A couple young, young guys are coming this weekend. One to really watch too is a couple 2022 prospects. So those are sophomores in high school. Carter, can you imagine that one? Already uh, <laughs> taking their college trips. But Josh Connerly is a is a big time offensive lineman from Rainier Beach in Seattle. And then Austin Terry is a big 2022 um, tight end. So both those guys are going to be here. They're young, but um, definitely big time prospects in the future that um, should definitely kind of keep an eye on yeah it's it's good to see Oregon State get their foot in the door early with these guys too because you know once you you kind of make a name for yourself in their recruiting process um, you know those re- relationships go a long way and you, you start building relationships early on and that can um, you know that, that can really do a lot for a kid who's not really sure where they want to end up yet exactly and then this is maybe t- Taking it even a step further, but you know, as we've seen with the transfer portal, sometimes those relationships, those long-standing relationships, go a long way because sometimes these kids maybe get wowed into some glitz and glamour or higher-ranked schools. Um, but if things don't go their way down the road, they might fall back on those relationships that uh, were important to them back in, you know, recruiting. Yeah, exactly. So um, that's your quick rundown um, for recruiting. But I think it's time for some damn questions. What do you think? Yep, let's do it. Okay, we've got uh, quite a few here. Okay, so Bill Matthews wants to know, who do you think may emerge from the wide receiver group to take some of the pressure off of Isaiah Hodgins? Uh, I think Colby Taylor's a good candidate for that. You know, as much as I want to say Champ Fleming's, because we've seen you know what he can do when he has the ball, I think getting open for him is going to be just too much of a kind of a challenge. But Colby Taylor has a, a bit of a bigger build, and you know he, he made a couple of catches against UCLA that I was really impressed with, so especially that clutch one on either third or fourth down to, to keep one of the Beavers' scoring drives going. So, you know, with with Trevon Bradford out, the Beavers are looking for other playmakers at that position. I think Colby Taylor might be kind of maybe the best candidate to take a step forward. I, I like that pick, too, especially with Isaiah Irish out, too, with injuries. So um, I like that pick. I also like um, using the tight ends a little bit more, too. So mm-hmm. um, Utah coming off a bye week. This is Sean Leahy. I'm sorry. Uh, Utah coming off a bye week. The Beavs coming off a conference road win. What excites you most about the matchup for the Beavers, and what is your biggest concern? Uh, I, well, I guess Oregon State might kind of just hope that they catch Utah sleeping a little bit 
You know, Oregon State has shown the last two years that they're not always the sharpest coming off of bye weeks. And, you know, that kind of shows that bye weeks sometimes have the opposite effect that you might expect from them. You know, usually you think, oh, an extra week to prepare for a game kind of improves your chances. But, you know, sometimes, you know, players fall flat a little bit after an extra week off. So, you know, th- that presents an opportunity if if that's the case. But I think Utah, with, with the discipline in their program, Coach Whittingham, you know, he's not going to let his players you know, kind of ease up after a week off. So so I doubt we see Utah come out flat, but there is always a chance of that. Yeah, my concern, I think, would be just Oregon State moving the ball against their front seven. And then, honestly, it's not just their front seven, then their secondary is really good, too. So um, offensively, I, I, you know, I think if the Beavers can jump out early, kind of like they did at UCLA, I mean, seriously, 21 points in the first six minutes, I've never seen that before. Yeah. I don't think that, ever. that game was over before it started. Really. <laughs> it was that was bananas, but um, no, I, I think if Oregon State can jump out to a, a quick lead, that could help a lot. But um, offensively, I worry about how they're going to uh, score points, and then defensively, how they're going to how well they're going to contain Moss if he plays and Huntley. Sean Leahy also asked about Jamar Jefferson. Do we have an updated um, injury report on him? Is he still day to day? Yeah, still day to day. Smith said, um, Coach Smith said, you know, he's he's getting closer to 100. percent He threw Jalen Moore in there too as another guy who's getting close to being, okay. you know, fully ready to go. But um, you know, with Artavis Pierce playing the way he's been playing, it's going to be hard for Jefferson to kind of reemerge as the lead back. I think, um, you know, with you know, the consistency we've seen from Pierce, I think he's going to end up getting more carries than he did in the beginning of the year when Jefferson was health was. Yeah, healthy. I agree. I mean, I think I think AP has kind of earned the right to be the starter right now, to be honest, mm-hmm. and um, he's done really well. And and then BJ Baylor is a you know no slouch himself. So um, those are two two good good backs. Um, Daniel Devaney wants to know where the Beavers stand with the top targets. Um, Jake Overman, which we just talked about. Bankston, Terrell Bankston is the Juco D tackle in Hutchinson, Kansas. He is still taking official visits, but he's still in engaged with Oregon State. So we saw Oregon State throw out some new Juco uh, defensive line offers. And I really think it's just down to they need one. They need a, a, another Juco D lineman. And it's kind of first come, first serve, whoever jumps on that first. Lawrence K. First, he said he wants to know when Jonathan Smith's going to give uh, Coach Mahalachek a raise because the O-line is playing lights out. No <laughs> doubt, Lawrence. Yeah, no doubt. for sure. Um, serious question, though. With almost half the season down and in the second year of the Jonathan Smith reign, what trends have you noticed in the recruiting game that is different from the staff of, and Gary Anderson with the staff and similarities? You know, I, I think Oregon State with, under Smith is being very diligent on the types of players they go after. They're doing um, homework on kind of character and um, grades and that kind of thing. Um, I'm not to say that Anderson staff didn't, but I know this is some, that's something that's really important to the staff. They talk to everyone at high schools and junior colleges to find out what kind of kid this is and, and how they're going to work in the classroom and then fit and being a good fit with the locker room has also been very important to them. So I think that's kind of a trend we're seeing. We're also seeing Smith. We haven't seen any decommits from him and, what he's been here a year and a half or almost two years. So um, I think that's, that speaks volumes for the commitment level he's getting from these players. Once he gets them committed, they're committed and um, they aren't looking around. Yeah. And then also from a broad view, you know, going after Juco guys and uh, being active in the the transfer portal, 
Um, they're, they're looking for guys who can play right away. And that's, you know, that's what Oregon State needs right now is they need talent right away so they can start winning games and, you know, start building a case to land some higher rated prospects out of high school. So, um, you know, I, I think they're being really smart and really diligent about what they're doing in, in the recruiting um, department. And you know, I think the future is bright, especially if they can keep landing um, current transfer players and, and JUCO guys in addition to building a, a really solid base around the high school guys. Exactly. Absolutely right. You know, Oregon State being that they've had so many down years, it's it's a little tougher to get into the living rooms of some of those four and five star guys, the high school guys. But by getting the transfer guys and the transfer portal that were one time four and five star guys, you're building that. And like I said, the locker room culture, that's really important to keep guys that fit with the program and the, and the culture that they want to create. So, you know, it really doesn't take many um, bad apples to kind of change that culture. So um, what we've seen is coach Smith really bringing in guys that fit the culture that he wants to, to build. Daniel Devaney also says, where does Hodgins rank currently for you and Carter among the best wide receivers who have played at Oregon state? That's tough. Cause I mean, you know, Oregon state's been somewhat of wide receiver you throughout the last 20 years, but you know, he's definitely approaching top five. You know, I would say you know, this is really the, the first year where he's kind of taken the nation by storm almost, but you know, he's, he's not Brandon cooks level or anything like that, not Chad Johnson yet, but if he keeps playing the way he's playing, you know, and he finishes somewhere near the top of the country in receiving, he will probably be one of the best Oregon State receivers we've seen. Yeah, I don't know if I'd go top five yet, just because he hasn't done it in, you know, more than one year. I don't know, top 10. I mean, I'm, I'm you start mentioning guys like Chad Johnson or TJ Hushmanzada or Brandon Cooks or James Rogers. I mean, you could go on to some really good receivers that Oregon State has had. Mike Cass, goodness. I mean, how could you forget him? Yeah, the, the difference there is those guys did it for an extended amount of for time. For extended and, years, yeah. So. And they also played on better teams, though, so it makes it maybe a little easier um, in a lot of ways. But I'd, I'd definitely say in the past 20, 19 years, I'd say top 10. Yeah, for sure. And then Jason Young has, this is a good one. This is what we're going to finish off the damn questions with right now is, what would it mean if the Beavers beat the Utes this week? That would be a program-defining win, in my opinion. To take down a preseason favorite, to win the conference, you know, one of the best defenses in the country with some really, really solid pieces offensively as well. You know, that'd be by far the biggest win under Jonathan Smith and really maybe the, last, or the best win since Riley left other than getting that win in the 16 Civil War. Yeah, yeah, me too. I think that would be... Uh, I mean, a monumental. I was asked yesterday, asked yesterday on a Eugene radio show if that UCLA win was a signature win for Coach Smith. And, you know, no, not really. But then you look at what his wins have been and you're like, well, I guess it's one of the biggest wins that he's had. But um, it's not saying a ton. But this one, if, if Oregon State could beat Utah this week, it would be huge. So, um, yeah, I, I think I'm, I'm right there with you. It would be a monumental, monumental win. Okay, that will do it for this week's Dan Podcast. I hope to see all of you guys out at Research Stadium for homecoming. And just a quick plug for a promo that we're running here at Beaver Blitz. I was just told by the powers that be at 24-7 Sports that we'll be running a homecoming promotion that gives all new annual subscribers 60% off. So you can jump in, get a full year of Beaver Blitz for $42.96 for the entire year. Carter, that's like steel. That's a good deal. That's a really good deal. I mean... You look at the rest of football season, you look at basketball, you have men's and women's basketball, hoops coverage and recruiting, baseball, 
baseball recruiting, football recruiting is huge. And then JP's weekly walk-off. I mean, dang for baseball. So, um, great stuff. And, uh, we'll be back next week. Same time, same place.